Father God, we thank you for your great love toward us, that you desire us to be your people, that you know everything about us and yet you still love and accept us. Your precious word is like a scalpel, exposing the thoughts and intents of our heart. Examine us, we pray, and do your work by the Spirit that we might be healed and transformed. How much we need a new nature, a new identity in Christ. Please help our hearts to be receptive. Speak your words of conviction through Duncan and bless him with strength and satisfaction. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the first reading is from Isaiah 49, 13 to 16. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. And the second reading from John 10, verses 1 to 16. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep will follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognise a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. 
I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. G'day again, everyone. Great to see you this morning uh, and uh, to be together to think about this important topic. Before we get into the sermon today, I just want to flag a couple of books. We, norm- we often have some books for sale out on a bookstall out there, uh, and there's uh, a couple of books out there that I wanted to highlight particularly. One is a little book by Tim Keller called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Uh, it is a fantastic book. It's, it's short, it's a quick and easy read, but full of real rich wisdom. We've got lots of these, um, and uh, so um, uh, have a look at that, and please grab one of those. Um, there, another, we have, uh, have a few of these. This is a bit of a more in-depth read, um, but it's uh, called A Strange New World by an author called Carl Truman. Uh, we're thinking about identity. What this book does is it traces the kind of history of ideas about how we've got to where we are today, in our culture when we think about our identity. A really interesting, stimulating and helpful book. Um, uh, But uh, yeah, so there's those two out there. We'll have another one next week. Um, There's uh, an envelope there with a price on there. Um, We just want these books to be read. Um, So if you're in a position where you're unable to afford that but you'd like to read it and you'd find it helpful, please take it. Uh, It's our gift to you. uh, But if you're able to um, contribute towards the cost of those, just use that envelope pop the money in there and put it in the everything box. Um, yeah, so those, those books for you. Um, but we're going to get into this uh, series. Uh, we're in the middle of this series on uh, being uh, our identity as Christians and as people. Um, and uh, uh, it's a little bit different today. Normally we would have one passage and sort of uh, sink our teeth deeply into it. Today is more of a topical talk. We'll be uh, jumping around the place a little bit. But where I, th- where I thought we'd start is thinking about this. Uh, I want you to imagine for a moment that someone really famous is visiting Victor Harbour. Someone really famous. Um, uh, I was thinking about, you know how there was Swift, Swifty Mania last year? Um, Taylor Swift came out. Anyone caught up in Swift mania? No, 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 even more famous than Taylor Swift. Imagine the King of England comes, okay? And uh, you're desperate to see him, and his motorcade is making its way down Ocean Street. Security is everywhere. The army is out. Hundreds and thousands of people are lining the streets. You push your way to the front uh, of the crowd, and then... You think, right, I'm all in here. I'm gonna, you jump the barricade. You start waving your hand in front of the car. Um, and before you get pummeled to the ground by burly shoulders, soldiers uh, with burly shoulders, uh, you shout out, no, 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 it's okay, guys. I know him. I know him. Um, and then they look at you weirdly and you pull out your phone and you say, look, I've read his Wikipedia page. Um, not only that, I've spent, look, I've spent years. I've read every book about him. I know where he lives, I know where his daily routines are, I know what brand of toothpaste he uses, I know him. What's going to happen to you? (laughs) Pummel you to the ground, they will continue to do, and probably send you off to jail. Because no matter how much you know about the king, you don't actually know him, do you? But imagine this, imagine if the motorcade stopped, the window rolled down and King Charles leaned out and said, settle down, chaps. Settle down, chaps. I I can't. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, uh, He says, settle down, chaps. It's all okay. I know him. That's my old buddy Duncan. Uh, Come on in. Let's, Let's ride together and catch up on old times. Now, that's not very likely to happen. 
Um, but you get the idea, right? What's really important is not how much knowledge I have of that person, but whether they know me. Whether they know me. So as I mentioned, we're in this short series thinking about identity, who we are. Uh, last week we saw that the place to start in finding ourselves is not, it's not actually in looking around ourselves as has traditionally been done uh, to the kind of people and institutions around us. It's not even by looking inside ourselves like modern identity kind of teaches us to do. No, the place to start if you want to really know who you are is to start by looking up, looking to the God who created you and who offers you new life in Jesus. Our most fundamental identity isn't something that we create, it's a gift we receive from our loving God and Father. We're created by him. And I just want to pause there. That's, it's just, that is just such good news, isn't it? Uh, the, the gospel offers us an, an identity that we receive not one that we have to achieve. And this is such good news. Every other identity is based on you and your performance, whether you live up to the expectations of those around you or the expectations that from within you. And your feeling of self-worth is really fragile. It goes up and down depending on whether you're achieving or not. But a gospel identity is a totally different thing. You receive it as a free gift, not based on your performance, but based on the performance of Jesus. It's a really solid identity to live out of. You are created by God in his image to glorify him. So that's where we sort of started last week thinking about. But there's something else the Bible teaches us about our identity. Uh, it's something that's maybe uh, a little bit less talked about, but really profound. We are created by God. We're also known by God. We're known by God. We talk a lot about knowing God, and rightly so. That's good and proper. The Bible talks a lot about knowing God. But there's another knowledge that actually underlies that, and more fundamental and important even than that. Not our knowing of God, but his knowing of us. His knowing of you. Uh, we long to be known, don't we? We long to be known. It's a real thrill when someone knows you. Uh, when you go somewhere for the first time, maybe a, a new school you're going to or you get a new job, maybe uh, you join a new sports club, maybe you come to church for the first time. What can make or break that for you? And this is something for us all to kind of keep in mind. What can make or break that for you is, if, is whether or not someone comes up to you and says, G'day, I'm Duncan. What's your name? Um, don't say I'm Duncan because you're not, but that's what I would say. Uh, it's the first step in saying, I want to know you, right? And it's the first step in saying, I want to know you. And we really long for that, don't we? We long to be known. But, and John mentioned this earlier, we're kind of terrified by the idea at the same time, right? Um, uh, it's okay at a surface level, but if someone was to really know me um, fully, to know me, to see everything, to have it all on the screen, as John was saying, we all have darkness within us, right, that we would be ashamed for others to know about. All of us do. 
You do. I do. So we're caught in this bind. We have a deep longing to be truly known. We have a deep longing, but we're also kind of terrified about being truly known. Um, I've been really fully exposed, brought out into the lights. Well, friends, is there a way to resolve this? The great news of Jesus is there is a way for you to be fully known in a way that doesn't destroy you, but actually gives you life, that brings comfort, not condemnation, that gives life and not shame. There is a way. Jesus gives his people an identity where we are known by God. This idea of being known by God is actually a thread that runs all the way through the Bible uh, of God knowing his people, sovereignly, mercifully, lovingly knowing his people, knowing those who are his. We started with that wonderful psalm, Psalm 139. Uh, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue. You, Lord, know it completely. God knows us and knows his people in a particular and special way. Uh, there's a great illustration of this in one of C.S. Lewis's Narnia stories, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Anyone familiar with the Dawn Treader? Uh, one of the main characters of that book is a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it, is the opening of the book. Uh, and he's this horrible kid, right? He's a terrible kid, and he ends up trying to steal dragon gold, if you know the story, and he ends up getting turned into a dragon. Um, but one night he's confronted by this lion who ends up tearing off his dragon skin, tearing right into him to peel it off, and gives him new clothes... Uh, and afterwards, he's back as um, Eustace, the boy, and he's talking over it with his cousin Edmund, who's Edmund, if you know the story, he's been in Narnia before. And he says this, um, I think you've seen Aslan, said Edmund. Uh, Aslan is the Jesus character in Narnia. Aslan, said Eustace, I've heard that name mentioned several times since we joined the Dawn Treader, and I felt, I don't know what, I hated it. But I was hating everything then. And by the way, I'd like to apologise. I'm afraid I've been pretty beastly. He sort of turned into a dragon, but he'd been acting like a dragon all the time. And That's all right, said Edmund. Between ourselves, you haven't been as bad as I was on my first trip to Narnia. You were only an ass. I was a traitor. Well, don't tell me about it then, said Eustace. But who is Aslan? Do you know him? And listen to this. This is what, how Edmund replies to Eustace. Eustace asks, who's this, what's this lion? Do you know him? And Edmund replies, well, he knows me. He knows me. He is the great lion, the son of the emperor beyond the sea, who saved me and saved Narnia. Now, Edmund does know Aslan, but his answer is really profound. The really important thing is that Aslan knows him, and not just as a kind of acquaintance, not just knows facts about him. Aslan knows the deepest, darkest parts of him. Um, Edmund had betrayed Aslan, which led to Aslan dying in his place on the stone table. If you haven't read the books, please do. Um, that's, that was his answer. Well, he knows me. He knows me. 
Uh, What I want to do is just briefly highlight four ways the Bible shows us this truth, that God knows us, um, and how that reality impacts your identity. That's what we're thinking about in this series. Uh, We're going to jump around a little bit, so stick with me. Um, We're going to look at a few aspects that come through. So firstly, being known by God is a really humbling thing. It, it, is, it humbles the proud, being known by God. Uh, it humbles us before God. It shows what, I mean, what a ridiculous and tragic thing it is to build your identity on yourself and your performance. Because when you're really known, true, when the searching spotlight of the Holy God shines on your heart, you see how just pathetic your works are. <laughs> Um, uh, the Bible says they're like filthy rags. Uh, listen to how the author of the Hebrews puts it. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, thir- verse 13. He says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give accounts. Uh, being known by God is a very humbling thing. It humbles us before God. It also humbles us actually before one another because of that. But God knows you. God knows you better than you know yourself. He even knows the worst bits of you that you don't know about. Um, so being known by God, it humbles us. You can't hide anything from him. It, it brings us low. There's no room for pride. But you see, at the same time, it wonderfully raises us higher than we could ever have imagined. And both of those things are true at the same time. Um, In Galatians 4, Paul says something really interesting. He's been talking about the amazing gospel truth that we are adopted into God's family through Jesus. So um, verse 6, he says this, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. And then he goes on in verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who were by nature not gods. So now they're children of God. They were slaves. And in verse 9 he says this. But now that you know God, and then he corrects himself, or rather are known by God. How is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? You see what he's saying? He, he kind of corrects himself along the way. To know God as Father is actually more fundamentally than that, to be known by God as his child. He knows you as his, as his child. Who am I? Who are you? If you are in Christ, if you've put your trust in Jesus, God knows you as his child. As his loved child. Um, His knowledge of me underlies and holds up my knowledge of him. He holds me fast, even when my strength fails. He has dealt with all the mess in my life, all my sin. He knows it all. Nothing is hidden from him. And through Jesus, he has taken the guilt and shame of that away on the cross. So here is now the one place you can go to be fully known and yet not ashamed. What a relief. You can't get this anywhere else. You don't have to hide. 
You can't hide with God anyway. But if you come to Jesus, if you hear his call of you and come to him and put your faith in him, he welcomes you with open arms right into the family of God. And because this is an identity that's based in him and not in you, being known by God is an unfailing source of comfort through any trial. Uh, you see this throughout the Bible. You see it in the Old Testament. There's this key question that gets asked when God's people are in distress. They ask, have you forgotten us, O God? Do you really see us? Do you really know us? That's the kind of underlying question. It's there that it feels like God's forgotten them. And one of the most striking passages where, is the one that we read earlier from Isaiah 49. The people say this. They say in verse 14, the Lord has forsaken me. He's forgotten me. But God replies this beautiful reply, isn't it? Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? It's unthinkable, isn't it? Uh, but though she may forget, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe, possibly, like we can't quite imagine it, but how much less is it possible for God to forget? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. See, God speaks this word of comfort to his people who are in distress with the sure and true knowledge that he hasn't forgotten them, that they are known to him. For God to forget his people would be as unthinkable as a mother forgetting her child. And friends, maybe if we just pause there, maybe that's what you need to hear today. Maybe that's all you need to hear today. Having your identity in Christ... Being found in him, known in him, means that you are engraved on the palms of his hands and he will never leave or forsake you. That he knows you always. He knows everything that you will face. He might not take it away. You might face that trial, that temptation your whole life. But he is with you in it and through it. And he will lead you through this life and welcome you by name into the life that is truly life, into his eternal kingdom. He knows you. He knows you. He will guide you and he will guide you like a shepherd guides his sheep. That's the promise of that beautiful passage from John 10 that we had read. Uh, verse 14, one verse from that passage. He is the good shepherd who knows his sheep and whose sheep know him. Uh, he calls his sheep by name, we, uh, the, earlier in the passage it says, and he leads them out. Jesus is a sure guide for you. Um, in in the kind of other places we find our identity, like in the traditional identity, you find your identity by looking around you to the, maybe the people around you, the uh, institutions you're born into or whatever. Um, those things around you are your guide. But you know, don't you, no, no human, no fallible human is a sure guide for your life. In even the best of us, even the best people will never be able to guide you into eternity. We all die. Um, so there's a problem there if we kind of, if we look for our guide there. But in, in the modern identity, this is what we looked at last week, in the modern identity, looking inward, your own heart is your guide. 
But that's not a sure guide either. And I think actually a, a less stable guide even. And I think we actually all know that. Um, one way to see that is just to remember, just think about yourself a few years ago. Right? Just think about yourself a few years ago. Um, maybe, you're, so, uh, maybe you're a teenager, you're 15, and you remember your 10-year-old self and think, what an idiot, you know? Like, um, but what you don't realise is that just keeps continuing all through your life. <laughs> See, when you're 20, you look at your 15-year-old self and think, or you shudder, right? When you're 30, you look at your 20-year-old self and, and laugh. And it just keeps going the older you get, right? Unless you stop growing, which is not a, not a healthy thing. And, and you, know what that, you know what that means. One day, you are going to look back, back at yourself now and think, oh, what a fool, you know, what a fool I was. You need a healthy scepticism about yourself, about your heart, your feelings, your desires. You don't know yourself fully. You don't even know yourself as fully as you will know yourself in a few years' time. But your good shepherd knows you. He knows you inside and out with perfect knowledge, with complete knowledge. And having your identity in him as his sheep gives you a sure voice to follow in an uncertain world until the day when you will know even as you are fully known. Um, there's an author called J.R. Packer. He wrote a famous book called Knowing God. It is a wonderful book. And if you haven't read it, you're a bit of a reader, I'd really encourage you to read that book, Knowing God. It's all about having a right knowledge of God. But he starts off the book by saying this. This is really interesting. It shows how kind of what a, you know, a wise man he was. He starts off the book by saying this, and it ties together a lot of what we've been saying. What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. It's a bit of a long quote, but so rich. I'll keep going. Listen to this. This is momentous knowledge. There is unspeakable comfort in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love for me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. So that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way I'm so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. So he was saying that God, God's knowledge of you is he knows everything already. There's, not, there's nothing that can surprise him. And not only that, there is great incentive to worship and love God in the thought that for some unfathomable reason, he wants me as his friend and desires to be my friend and has given his son to die for me in order to realize this purpose. God knows you, friends. He wants you in that relationship with him. Well, there's lots to a gospel identity. 
There's one more big thing that we're going to focus on next week, the fact that we are not only fully known but fully loved and how that changes everything. Uh, but I want to wrap up today um, uh, with a bit of a, a, a poem, actually. Uh, it's a, a story of how being known by God changed everything for one person. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian pastor and a theologian in Germany in World War II. He was, part of a, he was put in prison because he was part of a plot to assassinate Hitler. Uh, he, he, ends up, he ended up being executed in prison. But just months before he died, he wrote this poem. It was a poem all about this issue of identity. Um, being in prison, having all the things that we normally base our identity on were taken away from him. And so it sort of led him to agonise over this question, who am I? <laughs> who am I? Um, the poem's not on the screen. I'll, I'll read some of it out, so you just need to be listening. But um, he goes into the ways that all the other people around him see him. So he says, who am I? They often tell me I step out from my cell, composed, contented and sure, like a lord from his manor. Who am I? They often tell me I speak with my jailers, frankly, familiar and firm, as though I was in command. Who am I? They also tell me I bear the days of hardship, unconcerned, amused and proud, like one who usually wins. So the people around him look at him and think, oh, he's got it all together. He goes on, he, but he knows a different side to the story. He goes on, am I really what others tell, tell me? Or am I only what I know myself to be? Troubled, homesick, ill, like a bird in a cage, gasping for breath as though being strangled, hungering for colours, for flowers, for songs of birds, thirsting for kind words, for human company, quivering with anger at despotism and petty insults, anxiously waiting for great events, ho helplessly worrying about friends far away, empty and tired of praying, of thinking, of working, exhausted and ready to bid farewell to it all. Who am I? This or the other? Am I then this today and the other tomorrow? Am I both at the same time in public a hypocrite and by myself a contemptible whining weakling? Or am I to myself like a beaten army flying in disorder from a victory already won? You can feel the anguish, right? He's wrestling with this question, who am I? He acknowledges this, uh, this anguish, but, and it carries through the whole poem, but right at the very end of this poem, he makes this very simple but very profound turn. He says this, who am I? Lonely questions mock me. It's, you know, that's where he ends up when he's just focused on himself and his own thoughts and sort of going over and over and over. And maybe you know that experience. Who am I? Lonely questions mock me. Who I really am, you know me. I am yours, O oh God. You know me. I am yours, O oh God. Uh, he turns not to the opinions of others, not even to his own opinion of himself, but to the fact that he is known and belongs to God. Because being known by God is an identity that is sure, that gives life, that humbles us where we need to be humbled, that lifts us up where we need to be lifted up into a new security and peace that's based not in ourselves but in Christ, an identity that sustains and guides us as sheep of the Good Shepherd through this life and into the next. Let's pray. Our God, please, we pray, please do a work in each of our hearts this day. By your Holy Spirit, please show us where we're seeking our identity in other things, in people, in ourself. 
Help us to turn from that, to repent of that, and to come to you, the only one who can give us this, this identity of being created and known and loved. Help us to live in that and live out of it, we pray. Uh, we pray, our God, that you might please speak to each of us where we're at to show us more who we are and who we can be through Jesus our Lord. And we pray in his name. Amen.